Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I hope you enjoy as we begin our foundation series over the next couple of weeks, really looking at what do we believe, what do we do with it, and how can I serve in the body of Christ. Enjoy. We're starting a series. We're going to call it WL Miami Foundations. This is kind of what anybody that it comes to be part of Word of Life, Miami, We'll go through this outside of the Sunday morning service. This will be kind of our foundations. I'm going to try to condense it eventually down to a four-week thing. We'll probably spend six or eight weeks together on this. Um, But it's just kind of, we're just going to talk about foundational truths of what we believe. Um, So if we don't believe on the same page, then it's time for you all to change what you believe because I'm right. No, Listen, I don't expect that we would all completely agree on 100% of everything. But on the main thing, we need to have the main thing, the main thing. Does that make sense? But uh, today, we're going to talk about God, angels, and man. God, angels, and man. Um, you're not going to hear me preach much today. This is, and I've been in this for the last several weeks, just in this teaching mode. We're just kind of experiencing the truths of the Word of God. And so I'm going to d- dive right into it. A lot of this material, most of today is taken from a book that Pastor Phil Stern, which we met um, Back in September, I believe it was. Um, this is one of his books. It's called. It comes from the book "The Master's Plan for Church Foundations." Um, I grew up on this stuff. Uh, we're going to take a lot of today and next week from his book, and then some other stuff we're going to take from a book called "Cultivate." It comes out of Bethany Church down in um, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, some really good things about who we are, what we're called to do, and. Uh, just some just basic spiritual truths. So we're going to just dive right, right on in. Uh, today, God, angels, and man, we're going to define who. Who they are. Who we are. And uh, so just basic doctrinal truths. So uh, the big question, who is God? So we'll just jump right into that. Who is God? The word God means one who is worshipped. So in, in retrospect, or in the connotation of God, we can, we can see the definition of God play out in so many aspects of our life. Uh, the idea of what we worship is that which consumes our time. Um, if I can step on toes, including mine a little bit, what is that thing that distracts us from the main things? Uh, the worship, what is it that keeps us from getting into the Word of God? What keeps us from our time with prayer? Uh, many times it could be television. Uh, one of the biggest distractions, whether we know it or not, um, let me just set this right here. Uh, it could be um, our, uh, it could be a spouse, it could be children, it could be work, um, it could be phones, it could be so many things, but that thing that takes priority in our life is really what we're worshiping in the moment. And we, I think we go from one thing to another that we worship, but we need to realize that God Big G God, God that created everything that always was. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He always was. He's the one in whom we should be pursuing to worship in everything, including Him in all aspects of our life. God is the title used by men to describe the supreme being. God is thought of one, as one who has all power to create and maintain all things. So what is God? The one in which we worship, one we have gathered here today to encounter. The Bible says in John chapter 4, by the way, that's our entire slide presentation because there was so much material. Um, 
the Bible says in John 4, 24, that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So today, as we gathered and we worship him through song, we sang things about the truth of God. We, even that last song, we declared some things that he has done in the past. Excuse me, I get a hangnail. We declared some things that he did in the past, knowing that he can do them again today. That was worshiping him in truth. And then we declared all kinds of things, uh, worshiping him and that he is worthy and he is holy. And we uh, referenced and we dove into him as spirit. So the first thing that we know about God is he is spirit. He is a spirit. Uh, another thing that we know about God is a spirit is a being that has intelligence and a free will, but has no bodily form and therefore cannot be destroyed. He cannot be destroyed. Luke 24, 39 says, See my hands and my feet, that it is that it is I myself, Jesus talking, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So we know about a spirit, they do not have flesh and bone. Of course, Jesus is a part of God that we'll talk about here in just a minute. Uh, what qualities belong to God? I've got a long list of qualities here. One of the primary things that we know about God is He is eternal. He is unlimited by time. It's hard for us to wrap our brains around this eternal aspect of God because we operate within a time frame. We were created, we have a beginning, and we have an end, and He has neither. He doesn't operate, we'll look at this here in just a minute, He doesn't operate on a time frame. He doesn't operate, by the way, He is, not, he is with us now, but He is also with us in the future, right now. Try to wrap your brain around that one. Uh, Psalm 90, 1-2 says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. He's been around before anything was formed. The next thing we know about God is He, he is unchangeable. He's unaffected by circumstances. Isn't that wonderful? Because I know about myself, and I know a little bit about you all in this room, we are affected by circumstances. When the weather's good, typically we're up. When it's nasty out, we're down. When the kids are sick, we feel it. When they're doing well, we feel it. When they're moody, we feel it. When you feel what I'm stepping in, you smell it, right? Smell what I'm stepping in, I mess that one up. So we're affected by our circumstances. When things are going rough, we feel it. When things are going great, we feel it. Our circumstances affect us, but he is not affected by circumstances. Isn't that awesome? He's consistent. He's unchanging. He is awesome in that aspect of things. And he says this in Malachi um, 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Wonderful. He's omnipotent. That's an interesting word. That, all, that basically means he's almighty and he's all-powerful. He is almighty and he's all-powerful. He has it all. He's able to do anything and all things. He has all of it. Revelation 19.6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of a mighty, uh, like a sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. The Strong's word for Almighty is this interesting word. It's pantocratore. There's my mispronunciation for the day. Uh, this just means omnipotent. It's an absolute within the universe or a sovereign being. He is sovereign. He is in control of every aspect of everything. In other words, he's going to get his way. 
he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And if we don't do it, he will find somebody that will. I am so thankful that we are seeking to do exactly what he wants done here in northeastern Oklahoma. Amen? Next word, God is omniscient. Another fun word. He's all-knowing. How's that make you feel? He knows all. There's nothing that we are doing that are, is outside of what he knows. We cannot escape it. We cannot hide from it. It's like when God went into the, the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. When he said, where are you? He wasn't asking for his benefit. They were not able to hide from him. He was asking so that they could recognize their inability to function without him. He is all-knowing. 1 John 3.20 says, For whenever our, hearts condemn, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. One of my favorite attributes of God is he is omnipresent. I preach a whole sermon on this. One of these days I'll get to talk about it. I prayed about and thought about including it in here and for time. I just couldn't add a 20-minute dissertation on this one word, omnipresent. You've all heard me talk a little bit, I think, about the omnipresence of God. He is present everywhere. Uh, I like to think of it more like this. He is so big that everything is part of him. He is so big, everything is part of him. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? I do, not, do I not feel heaven and earth? There's that idea. It's not that he is here and he is here and he is there and he is there, but everything encompasses where he is. God is holy. Sinless. He hates sin. Leviticus 19.2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the Lord of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, is holy. This is part of the quest to be like Him, to align ourselves with Him. The best way that we can seek to be like Him is to be holy. But the good news is, none of us is holy. The Bible says no not one, but He has sent one that has made it possible for us to align with Him, doing the impossible within us by making the impossible happen for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Next thing we know about God is He is just. This means He is fair and impartial. He is the same towards you as He is towards me. I have no more favor in the eyes of God than you do. Billy Graham had no more favor, no more calling on his life than you do. He just stepped into it. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And I love this, and we sang about it today. He is faithful. He keeps his promises. First, or so I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he still remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Is that wonderful? But when we fail him, he still remains faithful to us. When we back down, when we back away, when we fail to keep our resolve, he is there to welcome us back and continue moving forward with us. God is benevolent. It's another attribute of God. It means He's good. He's kind. He's desiring our welfare. He wants good for us. Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, 
and His mercy is over all that He has made. I think of our, my children when they make something, when they make it for me or just for themselves, they are so proud of it and they cherish it and they protect it and they take care of it. We are His creation. The Bible says we are His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. He created us to do good things. We are something to behold because He is benevolent. God is merciful. God is merciful. Exodus 34, 6-7 says, The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity, the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He's also gracious. If he's merciful, he's got to be gracious, which is simply forgiving. We just read this from Exodus that he is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That particular passage is quoted multiple times throughout the Psalms. Joel quotes it. Jonah quotes it. Nehemiah talks about it. We hear that God is gracious and He is quick to forgive. He is quick to forgive, therefore we should be quick to repent. It's part of who He is. And we know about God that He is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If we know Him, and if we benefit from Him, we would be more like Him to love others. Another thing we know about God after seeing these characteristics of Him is we've got this mystery presented to us that He is a triune God. We know Him as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Though they are revealed to us as three, they are one. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Some translation says the Godhead Matthew 3, 16-17 is a very cool passage of Scripture because it says when Jesus was baptized immediately, so we've got a picture of Jesus, right? Immediately He went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he, saw, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove coming to rest on Him. That's the Holy Spirit. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. In this picture, in this story here, we've got all three parts of the deity represented in this moment here. We've got the Son being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and the voice of God thundering from the heavens. So a few weeks ago, we talked about this in one of our series. We looked at a short review of the Trinity. We saw the three persons distinct from each other. We saw this where all three of them were represented, and each person still is fully God. They are not um, a separate being, a separate God. They are all together the full representation of God. They all make up the complete representation of God. Together, apart from each other, they are fully one God. Together, they are fully one God. How's that for a mystery, right? Acts chapter 5, verses 3-4, through four, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart 
to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the land. This is when Ananias and Sapphira have promised some money to the the church and they hold back some of those monies. And it says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your land? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So in this, we have them lying to the Holy Spirit. And then it says they've lied to God. So we see representation of the Holy Spirit and God being the same being that they've lied to. So we see another representation of the fullness of God talked about in two different names, but they're still the same one. There's one God. This is a mystery, not a contradiction. This is not a contradiction. It's simply a mystery. We don't need to simplify this up into cozy formula. It's not an egg, water, and or like the egg where you've got the yolk, the, the clear runny part in the shell. We've all talked about the Holy Spirit, God, and that no, He's not that formula. We don't want to simplify Him to that. It's not like water and steam and ice or even us where we're trying to get bodies like we're a, a soul, a body, and a mind. No, I don't want to do that. We don't want to bring the Trinity down to less than what He is or they are. It's not about uh, anything like that. It's more about roles. Not like dinner roles. Like it's, not, it's, it's about positions. and It's kind of like one, one performs this aspect of their, their, um, their purpose. Another performs this aspect of their purpose. Um, the, someone quotes, uh, I've got a quote, and it says this, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. It's okay to, be, to not be able to fathom all of who God is. If we could fathom all of who He is, He wouldn't be as big as who He is. God is big enough to not be able to wrap our brain around. And that's great. That allows us to completely rely upon Him. Amen? So we've seen some characteristics of God. We know Him as the triune God that... Together, all three of them complete the fullness of who God is. How about some ways He's revealed Himself to man through the course of the Bible? Let's look at some of that. I, I like this. It's just a neat way to see how He represents Him because this takes Him and it, it puts Him outside of a box. I like it because it shows us that God can reveal Himself to us in any way He wants. One of the ways He can talk through things, He can do all kinds of things, He can use donkeys, He can use me. He can use you, um, but this is ways he's revealed himself to man. He reveals himself as a rock. In 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. He reveals himself as a cloud. It's going back in Exodus uh, 13, 21, the first part of that scripture. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And then we see him as a pillar of fire in the latter part of that Exodus 13, 21. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. We see him as an angel of the Lord in Exodus 3, 2 through 4 when he appears to Moses. And, and it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of the bush. And he took and behold, and the bush was burning. Yet it was not consuming that bush. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see the great sight why the bush is not burning. When the Lord saw that he turned to see, God called him and out of the bush. God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said. Moses said, here I am. 
course, we've, he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 3, 6 says, Indeed, great, indeed, we confess, is the mystery of the godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. He's the Holy Spirit. Here we see the Trinity played out again. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Put those two together. You see how the Holy Spirit is a representation of God. So we know of God these things. So the next part, part two, what about angels? So we've talked about God. What are angels? Let's, let's talk about angels. I think we've got a fascination with the spirit, spirit realm, with demons and angels and ghosts and whatever. So let's, let's talk about angels for a minute. Uh, we know this, that they are invisible ministering spirits created by God to do His will. How do I know this? Psalm 103, 20 and 21 says, Bless, bless the Lord, O you His angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. What happens to angels? Well, they're divided into two groups. We've got the good angels and the bad angels. The good, of course, are gods. They are gods. They do his work. The bad? They're Satan's. Pretty straightforward, right? Revelation 12, 4 through 9 uh, says, This tale swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, she might devour it. Then skipping down to verse 7, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Dragon is Satan here. And the dragon and his angels fought back. In verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan and the deceiver of the world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels thrown down with him. So we've got a separation of the good angels and the bad angels. The good angels stay with God. The bad angels went with the devil. What does the Bible tell us concerning the good angels? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, they have great power. They carry out his commandments. Psalm 103, we read this just a moment ago, I believe. It says, bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obey his voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all who you his hosts, his ministers, who do his will. They serve Christians. You know angels are, are created to serve us? At our command? Well, let's look at this. Psalm 91, 11 through 12 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all his ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. They, they're kind of intended to remain anonymous, but protect us, if you know what I mean. What does the Bible tell us concerning bad angels? They were created holy, but sin. They were rejected by God. One of the biggest distinguishing factors between angels and us is this. They cannot be redeemed. They don't have an option to be forgiven. Once they messed up, they were out. Here's, here's a big thing. They are in the glory, started out in the glory of heaven, in the glory of God, and they chose to step away from it. They were created with the sole, almost forced purpose to worship God in His very presence, and they walked away. God created us to discover Him and worship Him. They were created already in discovery. And when they were created already in discovery and messed up, there was no redemption. 
when we're created to discover him and we discover him, he gives us a, an option to, to discover and mess up and come back. Are you, are, you, are you following me here? And so another thing, that it's not in my notes here, but there, angels aren't being created now. Okay? When we die and go to heaven, we don't become angels with an option to then become demons. And when we go to hell, we don't become the, the minions of hell to go in torment. So when, when we hear of people dying and their ghosts lingering in a place, those are not them. Those are demons pretending to be them. You either go to heaven or you go to hell and you stay there. Are you with me? So that's just a little side, sidebar. So when, when you have these mediums and these psychics that are talking to people on behalf of their deceased relatives or whatever, they're talking to demons. They're not talking to their deceased loved ones. Why do they know so much? Because demons have abilities to know things. Okay? So, um, we, another thing we know about demons is they are cunning and they are powerful. Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not uh, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. We also know they are enemies. God and man. John 8, 44 says, you are the father of the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So knowing a little bit about, a little bit, just scratching the surface of angels. Do we worship them? Can we worship angels? Absolutely not. No, we should not even become angel conscious. Do you follow that? That's why I, I said earlier, they almost need to remain anonymous at their work within us. Know they're there, be thankful for them, but we've got to focus on the important thing, and that is we focus on God. We are to worship God. Exodus 23 says, you shall have no other gods before me. Galatians 1.8 says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be cursed. Colossians 2.18 says, let no one disqualify you. Insist on ascetism. I don't know that word. And worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions. Puffing up without reason by his sensuous mind. Basically, don't let anyone let you focus on the worship of angels. So we've got a little bit about angels. We've talked about God. One of the things I didn't set you up for is we're going to talk about angels. We do need to know something a little, a little bit about Lucifer. I will never, ever get up here and preach a sermon on Satan but I do want us to be aware of who he is and what he tries to do. So this is all you're going to get on, from me about Satan. And this is right here. Lucifer was the highest angelic form in heaven. He, was the, an, 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 he started out as the anointed cherub of God who had access to the throne of God. He was chief among the angels and was perfect in beauty and wisdom. His job was to do this, collect the praise from all the universe and give it back to God. Collect it and give it. Collect it and give it. His sole purpose was to collect praises and give them all to God. And then this happened. Ezekiel 28, 13 through 15 says, You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. So get the picture. Every, every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the jasper, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, uh, the jasper again, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the carbuncle, the gold and gold workmanship of your tambourines and of your flutes in you. So you get the picture here. In the day you were created, they were prepared. 
you were the anointed cherub that covers, and I had put you in the holy heights of God where you were. You walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. In the wind of heaven, oh, sorry, in you. That's it, that's it. So we've got this picture. He was beautiful. Everything about him, though, was meant to reflect something or sound of something. So he was covered in jewels, and the, it talks about part of him was a tambourine, and he had pipes like flutes coming out of him. And it's an interesting picture, something that I don't think we could fathom truly what he looked like, but he was beautiful, and he naturally sounded glorious. And if you remember that I, when I talked about uh, in, in a series last year, we talked about uh, how none of us is immune to falling. Remember that? That message? And there was this phrase that I talked about, and it was this. And in regards to us, but in focusing on this Ezekiel scripture here, it's, it's the wind of heaven. Thinking about this. It's the wind of heaven that makes your song beautiful. It's my glory that makes you shine. His whole purpose was to radiate what God was. Our sole purpose is to radiate what God is. You following that? And when Lucifer failed to do that, he was banished, more or less, from heaven. When we failed to do that, we are called to repent. What happened to Lucifer? Wickedness in the form of pride was found in him. He attempted to overthrow the throne of God. God threw him and his followers out of heaven. He is now known as the devil with his demons. Isaiah 14, 12-14 talks about this. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will send to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. Sounds like pride is, is all over him there. Where are the devil and his demons now? Well, some are in the everlasting chains awaiting judgment. Others roam the earth with their leader. First Peter 5, 8-9 says, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being expected by your brotherhood throughout the world. Who has power, this is important, over Satan and his demons? We do. God does and the church. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 says, that he worked in Christ, which he raised from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. So we have power along with God over all of his work. We don't need to be afraid of him. We don't need to be afraid of demons. They might come on strong, but as believers, they have no authority over us. We do by the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? What about man? I'm going to get through this. I'm almost there. I'm only 15 pages into my 23. So I'm more than halfway there. You ready? What about man? Well, man was created in the image of God. Highlight was. Was. Was 
created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea and over the birds in the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. Genesis 2, 7 says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. That man became a living creature. Why was man created? To fellowship with God and give him pleasure. Straight up. We were created to give God pleasure and to fellowship with him. We were not created to do anything else. Now we have other things that we have to do, but the whole purpose in everything that we do is to bring him, bring us to where we can have fellowship with him. Isn't it amazing that if we could get to that place, how everything lines up. He orchestrates everything if we will align ourselves with total fellowship and pleasure of Him. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist, and they were created to have dominion over everything. Oh, next point, to have dominion. Our purpose, to have dominion over everything God has made. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in your image after our likeness, and let them have dominion fish, over the seas, over the birds, over the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Another thing we were created to do is have children to populate the earth. And God blessed them in Genesis 1.28, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, over the seas, over the birds, over the heavens, over the living things, and over the thing of the earth. We're to keep, this is interesting, we're to be the keepers of the Garden of Eden. Why aren't we there? Because sin, Right? I think God's trying to restore us back to that place in time. And it says, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Man was given a warning, though, to not eat of the tree. This is the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, they did. What were the three temptations that were used to tempt Eve? This is, this is interesting. We need, to, we need to recognize it's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We read this through Genesis 3, 3 through 6, when... when <clears throat> um, Eve was tempted by the serpent. I'm going to just go back and read Revelation or Genesis. Wow, let's go to the other end of the Bible. Genesis 3, for time's sake, I'm going to keep moving. But just know this is the, those are the exact three things. I think it's really interesting that just as the serpent tempted Eve with these three things, we have a, a, a new, so to speak, Adam that hits the scene years later in the form of Jesus and the the devil's got no new tactics. He's not creative. He is not a creator. He has no creative abilities. He is only a copycat. He can only take things and skew what's already there. And years later, with Jesus, he uses the exact same scenario in Matthew 14, 1-7, and also in the Gospel of John. And he tempts Jesus with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The exact same thing, and it's the thing, same thing he uses to distract us from our purpose and our calling. These are the same temptations that are around today. He's continuing to try to bring man back into bondage. First John two fifteen through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but from the Interesting sidebar, this, there's a number that is used for the, the number of man. Three sixes side by side. Combination that is meant to have us figure on the things of the world. 
the number of man. Just a sidebar. has nothing to do with that particular scripture. Verse 17 says, And the world is passing away along with the desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That forever is a tying us to this idea that we will be restored back to our original purpose was to tend to the garden. There were penalties for sin. The serpent had a penalty, the woman had a penalty, and man had a penalty. But one of these words that comes up through this whole process is this word enmity. Enmity, it means hatred, separation, difference, attitude, and hostility. Enmity was placed into both man and woman at the time they broke fellowship with God. Genesis 3, 22 through 24 says, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also up the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he was taken. And he drove out the man at the east of the garden, and he placed the cherubim with flaming sword and turned every, every way to guard the way the tree of life. So, I'm going to review quickly. I'm going to wrap this up. God, we learn, is the supreme being. He has total charge and authority over all heavens and earth. He displays himself in many ways to man and is fully alive. We also know angels have a definite purpose for being created. Because of the fall of Lucifer, we have an adversary, Satan, and his demons. And the third thing, man and woman were created in the image of God. Man lost his place, lost his image, in the garden, and now God is teaching us that we have the ability through Christ to regain our place, to regain our image. We were made in his image, we lost his image. Can I, can I just take two more minutes, maybe five, and show you the loss of image? This is, this is a sidebar. This is just, this is in my notes, but this is, this is, this is cool. So, in Genesis, did you all say yes, I could take a couple more minutes? No, I'm not holding the baby. Okay, Genesis 5, one, I need my hands. In, the, in, in Genesis 5, 1-3, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Now, what I'm going to talk about is a little controversial. Okay, So take it however you want. Study this out. But it says, When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and he named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son. Listen to this. So God created man in his image, right? Now, when Adam and Eve had children, Cain and Abel, were they in the garden or were they out? They were out. They had lost the garden. They had sinned. They had lost their image. This is how I know. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So Cain and Abel, we've moved on. This is now Seth. My bad. This is Seth. Seth was fathered in the likeness of man. Adam was formed in the likeness of God. You following me? So they've lost the image. Now, I'm here to say that through Jesus, we are working to be reborn, have a new birth, to become in the image of God, or to be born into the kingdom of God, back to our rightful place that Jesus has made possible. John 3 1 through 18. It says, Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
why on earth would we need a second birth if there was something wrong with the image in which we had been born into? What kingdom are we born into that would require us to need another kingdom to be born into? Does this not sound awfully familiar? Does this not sound like a message of having two kingdoms, that we have the kingdom of God and our own kingdom, and that we need to abdicate a throne to allow Jesus to become the center of our throne, the center of our kingdom, that we have committed treason against the kingdom of God, and the only way to fix that is to realize that I was born in the wrong image, and I now need to be reborn, taking back the image that God had intended for me from the very beginning, that we were created to be in his image because of sin. I was born in sin. The moment I am born, I am born a sinner. Therefore, I cannot take on the image of God. In that moment, I take on the image of man. And I've got to be reborn into a new image, into the kingdom of God. Does this make sense? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And be born, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind, it, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, In the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but does not believe is condemned already, because He did not believe in the name of the only Son God. You see, we were called to be born again into the kingdom of God. And I love this. We've got so many people in this world that are saying, if God was a loving God, he wouldn't send people to hell. Listen, our unbelief, our inability to be born into the kingdom of God is our condemnation. But our belief in Jesus and our being born back into the ability to be in the likeness and the image of God is what allows us to experience that kingdom of God. Isn't that an interesting thing? You ever seen that before? So we are here in the process by the righteousness of Christ, by the blood of Jesus, taking on the image that we are originally created to take on back in the garden. (laughs) Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.